John 21, 1-14. We began about a year and a half ago. And we're finally the last chapter. John 21, beginning at verse 1. After this, Jesus revealed Himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. And He revealed Himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. They said to him, We will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, Children! Do you have any fish? They answered him, No. He said to them, Cast the net on the right side of the boats, and you will find some. So they cast it. And now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. The disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, It is the Lord. When Simon heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from land, but about a hundred yards off. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place, with fish laid out on it and bread. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish that you have just caught. Simon Peter went aboard and hauled in the net ashore, full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared ask him, Who are you? They knew that it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Father, once again we thank you for your word. Thank You for the light that it provides for us. It is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. And I pray that it will shine forth this morning with blazing glory. May it shine upon Jesus Christ so that we would see Him. May we see His great grace that is incredibly extended toward us great sinners. May we stand in awe of a God who would condescend to fellowship with sinners such as us. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. may be seated. If you were with us three weeks ago, we finished up John chapter 20 and we looked at, quote-unquote, Doubting Thomas. And we saw that Jesus confronted him in his doubt, made himself known to him. And as a result of that, Thomas declared, my Lord and my God. And we mentioned that that was the climax of John's gospel. John wrote his gospel so that unbelievers would see Jesus for who he is and also declare, my Lord and my God that they would see that Jesus Christ is none other than the Sovereign Lord 
and that they would see that he is indeed God in the flesh, the second person of the Trinity. And as a result of believing, they would have life in his name. Now, after that episode with Thomas, we have this summary statement and purpose of the gospel. John writes in 20, 30, and 31, Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. And if you have been with us for the last year and a half in John's Gospel, we have come full circle. Because we began with these two verses right here. We began with these two verses because these verses explain the reason for John's Gospel. So it seemed like the logical starting point. So we explained right up front why John is writing his Gospel, what his evangelistic purpose is, what he wants to see happen. And then three weeks ago, we concluded with this purpose statement of John telling us why he wrote his Gospel. And after reading that, you might think, that was a great gospel, really enjoyed the last year and a half, and close your book thinking that's the end. But that is not the end. We have one more chapter. And you might be thinking, why is this chapter here? It seems out of place. And in fact, some critical scholars think that it should not be included in the sacred canon of Scripture because it was added later. They think it is out of place and it shouldn't be here. But it is inspired by God. It should be here. So I guess the obvious question we need to ask is, well then why is it here? John 21 is basically an epilogue. Kids familiar with that? An epilogue. If you read a novel or a work of fiction, uh, often the book will provide you with an epilogue. At the end, it will tell you what happened to characters. Sometimes you see this in movies as well. Uh, back in 1980, some of you weren't alive. <laughs> it's a reminder of how old I'm getting. I was like, wow, it's only over 30 years ago already. But back in 1980, during the Winter Olympics, the United States beat the Soviet Union. And won the gold medal in hockey. That was a great triumph. And recently they made a movie based on that called Miracle. And at the end of that movie, they said, well, so-and-so went on to play for the NHL. And so-and-so uh, went back to college. So-and-so went on to become an attorney. And, and what you have is an epilogue. It kind of wraps things up, if you will. Because you, you want, wow, I wonder what happened to these players. So they tell you what happened after the movie. It scrolls down and it... It tells you what happened. What John is doing here is providing an epilogue of sorts, and he's wrapping up loose ends. And namely, he's wrapping up one loose end, and that loose end concerns Peter. Because after finishing the gospel, readers might be wondering, what happened with Peter? And they would ask that question because Peter didn't exactly end on a high note in this gospel. Peter ended by betraying Jesus three times. And not only did he deny that he knew Christ, but he denied that he knew Christ by taking a solemn oath. And then he denied that he knew Christ by cursing and swearing. 
So Peter ends pretty dismally. So people might finish John's gospel and wonder to themselves, I wonder what happened to Pete. Peter. I wonder if his relationship with Jesus was restored. And I wonder if he went on uh, to a successful ministry. Now, of course, most of us know the answer because we've read the gospel of Acts. But when John wrote his gospel, maybe Acts wasn't around and people didn't know. John didn't want to leave that loose end dangling. He didn't want Peter people wondering rather what happened to Peter. He wanted to make it very clear that the relationship between Peter and Jesus was restored and that Peter was called again to the ministry and he went forth. So that's what we have in this narrative in the last chapter of John's Gospel. Now, the stage is set in chapter 21 with a third revelation of Jesus after his resurrection. We're told, after this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. And at the end, it told us that this was the third time he appeared to the disciples. And he revealed himself in this way. Uh, Simon Peter was there, and it is significant that his name is first. Thomas, called the twin. Maybe your translation says Didymus. That's the Greek, which means twin. Uh, The sons of Zebedee. Uh, Can anybody 12 and under tell me who the sons of Zebedee were? What were their names? Anybody? Twelve and under? I'll give you a hint. They begin with a J. Fifteen and under. Ninety-five and under. (laughs) James and John. That's right. The sons of Zebedee. And two others of his disciples were together. And I won't ask you what their names are because we don't know who they are. They're unnamed. But we have seven disciples together. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. It's time to put out the gone fishing sign. Now, I have another question for those 12 and under. Maybe this one will be a little easier. What was Simon Peter's occupation before he followed Jesus? Yes, Christopher. Fisherman. That's right. Simon Peter was a fisherman. So when Simon says, I'm going fishing. There's a couple of possibilities here. One is that he's just going fishing as a sort of hobby. If you know anything about Peter, you know that Peter is very impetuous. I think Peter is just one of these very high energy guys, which is why he's always speaking out and blurting things out and sometimes putting his foot in his mouth because he's just an energetic guy. He's an impetuous guy. He's not able to sit still. Uh, Disciples have been told to wait um, for the Holy Spirit to come. So we're in an interim right now between the resurrection and Pentecost. And things are kind of up in the air for the disciples. And that is very uncomfortable for a guy like Peter. Peter's always got to be doing something. So maybe he's saying, you know what, i I, I got to do something. I can't just sit around. Let's, let's go fishing. Maybe it's just a hobby. That's one possibility. Another possibility is that Peter is thinking, and I I could be wrong, but he's thinking, I've blown it. I have absolutely blown it. How could I have denied Christ in such a blatant, repulsive way? I'm, I'm so embarrassed. I don't think I'll ever forget when I denied him the third time and Jesus looked over at me and I saw his face. I've blown it. I have disqualified 
myself. I do not deserve to be an apostle. And it could be that what Peter is doing is returning to his old occupation. He's going back to fishing. The ministry is over. He's going back fishing. Now, now think of the seriousness of what Peter did. And I, and I was thinking about this last week. Perhaps he really does think that he blew it. What he did is very serious. And I don't know where you put this up on the, on the sin level. There, there are degrees of sin. All sin, of course, is, is against God and deserving of eternal punishment. But there are degrees of sin. There are weightier matters of the law. And Jesus did say on one occasion, if you deny me before men, I'll deny you before the Father. And I think that saying by Jesus haunted Peter and it just reverberated in his mind. If you deny me before men, I'll deny you before the Father. If you deny me before men, I'll deny you before the Father. And Peter had done it three times. That, that sin is up here. High school girls seriously have done better than Peter. Some of you um, will remember the 1999 Columbine High School massacre. Eric Harris, Dylan Kleibold came in, guns loaded, pointed them at different students. One student had a gun pointed at her. Her name was Rachel Scott. Wikipedia says, early news reports said that one of the gunmen, after having first shot Rachel in the leg, picked her up by her hair and asked the wounded girl if she still believed in God. And that she answered, you know that I do. Her response provoked a second fatal shot to her head, point blank range. Another 17-year-old girl, Casey Burnell, had a gun pointed at her. Do you believe in God? She answered, yes. Shot in the head. Martyred for their faith. With a gun pointing at their head. They did not deny their faith. They stood up for Jesus Christ. Yes, I'm a believer. Peter, big, bold, strong fisherman, asked by a little servant girl, high, squeaky pitched voice, I imagine it. Weren't you with him? No, I don't know what you're talking about. And now Peter's looking back and he's thinking, I can't believe what I've done. How could I have done? I am so ashamed. This has got to be like the greatest sin that a Christian could commit. Denying Jesus Christ. And I think he was tormented by that. And I don't know what he's thinking at this point, but perhaps he does think, I, I've blown it. It's too late. Little, little girls have done better than I have. I've blown it. So he goes fishing. Maybe he's going back to his old occupation. Maybe he's thinking, it's over. The other disciples, they said they'll go with him, maybe keeping him company. They're trying to keep busy as well. And we're told they went out, got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Not a zip, zilch. All night with their nets, not a single fish. And then verse 4 we read, Just as day 
was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Why didn't they know that it was Jesus? A couple of possibilities. Uh, one is that Jesus appeared in a different form, so they didn't recognize him, like the other disciples on the road to Emmaus didn't recognize him. Uh, perhaps because it was morning, maybe there was some mist on the water. Um, we're told in verse 8 that they're uh, 100 yards away, about a football length. Maybe they couldn't make out his form in the distance. Uh, but they didn't know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, Children, have you any fish? Uh, we could just paraphrase. Guys, have you caught anything? And they answered, No. you got, you got to really credit them. How honest. That, that's pretty hard for a fisherman. All night long fish. Have you caught anything? No. <laughs> Absolute failures. He said to them, Cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. Now, here's the question I have for you. Does that sound like any other passage of Scripture that you might be familiar with? And it does. Luke 5. If you have your Bible, I'd like you to turn to Luke 5. And what I want you to do as we're looking at this, if you will, keep your finger in Luke 5 as we go through it because we're going to flip back and forth because there are stunning parallels between Luke 5 and John 21. And we want to notice the similarities and the differences as well. But let me just give you the context of Luke 5. And by the way, this is Luke's version of Peter's call to ministry. His call to follow Jesus. So I think that's significant as well. But notice how it's set up. Luke 5, we'll begin at verse 1. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, and he saw two boats by the lake. But the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Because they were done fishing, they had fished all night, and they had caught, somebody tell me, nothing. They had caught nothing, that's right. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from land. And he sat down and taught the people in the boat. So Jesus goes out. He's sitting down in the boat teaching the people so that the crowds can't come because there's separation between uh, him and the people by water. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. Okay, Peter, professional fisherman, Maybe reminding Jesus, and by the way, I come from a long line of fishermen. My father was a fisherman. My grandfather was a fisherman. My great-grandfather before him was a fisherman. I have been doing this my entire life. I am an expert fisherman. I train fishermen. I have tried to fish here. I've caught nothing all night long. Obviously, I'm reading between the lines a little bit. <laughs> and Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word, and again, if I can read between the lines a little bit, I'll indulge you. I'll let down the nets. Besides, I have nothing to lose. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. The large catch was so 
big. The nets couldn't contain. The nets were breaking because of the weight of all their fish. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and helped both the boats so that they began to sink. So much fish. The nets are breaking. They put, it, they put them in the boats. The boats can't contain all the weight. They're starting to sink. They've got to get to shore very quickly. Now, keep your finger there. If you will, turn back to John 21. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat. Now, now at first, doesn't that seem foolish? Okay, again, put yourself in their shoes. They have been fishing all night. Morning has finally come. And someone from the shore, they don't know who he is, but someone from the shore is yelling, hey, why don't you just throw it on the right side of the boat and you'll catch some fish. Are you serious? But they do it. So they cast it. And now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. They're not able to haul it in into the boat because there are so many fish there. Verse 7 says, The disciple whom Jesus loved... Somebody 12 and under, thank you, Brian. That's okay, that's okay. That's that's okay, I'm glad you're paying attention. John... Okay, John, disciple whom Jesus loved, therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. I don't know how he said, I don't know if he said, it is the Lord, or if he said, it's the Lord. <laughs> well, probably depends on his personality. But he said, his, now here's the question I have for those 12 and under. How did John know that it was Jesus? Remember, they saw him at a distance. They heard his voice. They didn't recognize him. Now John says, it's the Lord. How does he know it's the Lord? Because he believed. That's right. Very good. How else? Somebody else want to give an answer? Because there was a miracle. Thank you. This miracle, and this is a miraculous catch of fish. And you fishermen know this, okay? This is a miracle. So as soon as this miracle happened, just like it happened back in Luke 5, John said, it's the Lord. That's why we have this huge catch of fish. Jesus is doing it again. This is deja vu. It is the Lord. So he says that to Peter. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put out his honored garments, for he was stripped for work, and threw himself into the sea. Now, I want you to notice two strange things about Peter's response. First of all, John makes it very clear. He put on his outer garments, for he was stripped for work. Now, let's imagine, I'll just make up some scenario. You're going swimming with some of your friends, and you find a lake somewhere Uh do you put on more clothes or do you strip down a little bit if you're going to go swimming? You strip down a little bit, right? Where as little as modesty will allow you, right? Now, this is where I have to be a little technical. My translation says he was stripped for work. It doesn't say for work in the Greek. It just says he was stripped. If you have a Greek interlinear, it literally words, the Greek word is gumnos, and it literally reads, he was 
naked. R.C. Sproul says that Peter was naked or very close to it. Maybe he just had his outer garment wrapped over him for modesty's sake. Um, We might say he was in his boxers or his briefs. But the question now is, why would he put his outer garment on if he's going to swim to Jesus? He's aware of his sinfulness. Adam and Eve are in the garden. They sin. There's a manifestation of God. What is the first thing they do? They cover themselves because their nakedness is a sign of their shame. John says, it is the Lord. Peter is immediately aware of his sinfulness, so he covers himself before he goes to Jesus because he's aware of his sinfulness. Now, if you turn back to Luke 5, after the miracle, we're told that in verse 8, Simon Peter saw it. He fell down at Jesus' feet saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. On both occasions, when there is an unveiling of deity, an unveiling of the holiness of God, the first response of sinful mankind is, Oh no, I am a sinner. So Peter, at the very least, wants to cover his sinfulness like Adam and Eve in the garden. So he puts his garment on before he jumps in the water. Now, there's another strange response by Peter. And we're told he threw himself into the sea. Uh, By the way, that's a great word, threw. The Greek word is balo here. It's el bello. It's just like throwing a baseball or throwing a football. Uh, From a literary point of view, those who enjoy writing, this is a great phrase. He threw himself into the sea. Now, that is strange because when Jesus performed a miracle of a great catch of fish earlier and he was immediately aware of his sinfulness, what was Jesus' response back in Luke 5? To run to Jesus or to run from Jesus? I'll make it multiple choice. Run to or run from? Back in Luke 5. Run from, depart from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. Earlier, there's a miracle, manifestation of deity, holiness. Peter realizes that he's a sinful man. He wants to get away from Jesus as quick as he can. Why? Because he is so uncomfortable. One of the reasons why people don't go to church on Sunday is they are just uncomfortable with the very presence of God. It makes them uncomfortable. The last thing they want to do is come into a place that represents God. They would rather go to a golf course. They would rather go fishing. They would rather go anywhere to church where they can be reminded of God's holiness and their sinfulness. But what does Peter do on this occasion? On this occasion, the response is the exact opposite. He hears it's the Lord. He's still aware of his sinfulness. That's why he covers himself. In fact, he is more aware of his sinfulness now more than ever before. Because he has spent three plus years with Jesus and because he has sinned greater than he ever has before. So he is more aware of his sinfulness. Yet, instead of running from Jesus, he runs to Jesus, as it were. And he is trying to get to Jesus as fast as he can. 
as soon as he hears John says, it is the Lord, he wraps himself up and he jumps into the sea. Now, why does he jump into the sea? Because the fishermen, there's seven total, the fishermen are trying to get the fish into the boat. They can't do it. It's too heavy. They're hauling it in. That's going to take some time because they have to haul it a hundred yards. And Peter immediately says to himself, I'm not waiting. I'm going to go to Jesus as fast as I can. Now, why would he have this response on this occasion? That's the exact opposite of previously. I believe for at least two reasons. Number one, he loves Jesus Christ with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength, even though he betrayed him in that way. And when you love someone, even when you have sinned against them in a terrible way, you want to go and you want to make it right as fast as you can. I believe there's one other reason. Peter has also learned that, yes, Jesus Christ is indeed the Holy One. The demons would even proclaim that Jesus is the Holy One of God. Peter knew that Jesus was the Holy One of God, but he also knew Jesus Christ is not only full of holiness, He is not only full of truth, He is full of grace. And Peter has watched Jesus respond to the worst of sinners. He's he's watched Jesus respond to a woman who was caught in the very act of adultery and he was overwhelmed by the grace that came out of Jesus. The grace as well as the truth. Your sins are forgiven. Go and sin no more. And he saw that grace again and again and again. And because of that grace, Peter knows that he can go to Jesus even though in his mind he is probably thinking, I am the worst sinner on the face of this planet. He still knows he is a man. He is a God of grace. He will accept me so he can go. And I think we can all understand this by our own experience. Imagine two different people. They're equally committed to the truth. But is there one that you might be more comfortable going to when you sin against them as opposed to another person? And if I were to ask you, what's the difference? And you would say, grace. Again, assuming their commitment to the truth is the same, you know that if one is more gracious than the other, that makes it easier to go to that person because you know, you know, so and so, so, so gracious. They, they will be humble. They will be accepting. Where another person, you might think, oh boy, I don't know. I'm going to get the billy club's going to come down. Peter knows what's waiting for him. He throws himself into the water. He can't get to Jesus fast enough. Verse 8 says, The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the nets full of fish. Peter deserted them. Let them do all the work. (laughs) Uh, For they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place. Not a wood fire. Charcoal fire. Now, here's a tough question, but we'll we'll try 12 and under once again. Can you remember another place in John's Gospel where there's mention made of a charcoal fire? Parker? 
Very good. When Jesus was betrayed, Peter was warming himself around a charcoal fire. Now, many of you know we have five senses and the sense of smell is a very, very unique sense. (laughs) Um, Often when we smell leaves burning, we immediately think of fall, don't we? And it brings back memories of fall. Um, Other smells might bring back different memories. The, The sense of smell is very unique. And here's what I'd like to ask you. Just consider, and I won't be dogmatic about this, but what might Peter think when he arrives on shore and he smells a charcoal fire? I think, exactly, I think that would take him right back to when he denied Christ and that smell would remind him of where he was and what he said when he denied Christ. And here we have a charcoal fire once again. And remember, Jesus made this charcoal fire. This is deliberate. And John is deliberate in telling us that there was a charcoal fire. This is not just a needless detail. This is an important detail. Jesus is taking Peter, not just back to his original call with the huge catch of fish, but now he's taking Peter back, as it were, to the very point where he denied him so that they can go forward. So there's a charcoal fire in place with fish laid on it and bread. Jesus said, and I find this interesting, Jesus said to them, plural, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. Jesus said to the disciples as a group, bring me some fish. Simon Peter, again, if I can read between the lines, it's though he was saying, whatever you want, Lord. And he runs and he does it himself. And of course, fishermen probably were big burly guys because it took a lot of muscle to haul in those nets day after day. Peter hauls it in himself, 153 fish, and he brings it ashore because he is eager. He is more than ready to serve Jesus Christ and to do whatever Jesus would ask. And then Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast. Come and have breakfast. That is very significant. This this is not just, let's just have a meal together. That would be nice. Jesus is serving His disciples. And by the way, notice that Jesus Christ, even after His resurrection is the one who serves His disciples. He still serves us. And if we do any service, we do it in the strength that He provides. And it should be that way so that He gets all the glory. He still provides us with our daily bread. But I think there's something even more significant than Jesus serving and meeting their needs. Breakfast with the disciples, including Peter, represents forgiveness and fellowship. Forgiveness and fellowship. Revelation 3.20, Jesus says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and what? Sup with him and he with me. Why does he say that? Why does he say, if you hear me knocking at the door and you open the door, why does he say, 
I'll come into your life. I'll come into your church, however you want to interpret that. I don't want to get into the details right now. But why does he say, and we'll have a meal together? That's the greatest sign of fellowship. That's, that's the greatest sign of intimacy between believers. In 1 Corinthians 5, Paul admonishes those at Corinth, expel this man who's guilty of this perverse sexual immorality. And then he says, with such people who claim to be Christians, there's a distinction, who claim to be Christians, do not even eat. That's serious. That's ser- it's a serious thing for one believer to say to another believer, I can't eat with you. It's a sign that we no longer have a relationship. We no longer can enjoy fellowship. So by Jesus saying to these disciples, and especially Peter, I'm not cutting you off from fellowship. I'm not cutting you off from eating together. We're going to have a meal together. Which said loud and clear to Peter, He's forgiven me. He's accepted me. He still loves me. This is amazing. I think if you were to ask Peter as he's swimming to shore, trying to get there as fast as he can, I think if you were swimming alongside Peter and you were to ask him, Peter, you are sure in a hurry to get to Jesus. What is it you want Jesus to do for you? I think Peter would say, I only want one thing. I only want him to forgive me and accept me and fellowship with me like it used to be. That's all I want. I'm not asking for success in the fishing business. I'm not asking for him to restore my health. I'm I'm not even asking him to restore my call to ministry. There's only one thing I want. I want a fellowship with my Lord and Savior, Jesus. That's all I want. And if He would sit down with me at the table like we used to do, like we did at the last, if He would sit down and we could have a meal together and talk, that would be heaven on earth. That's all I want. This is the pinnacle of the Christian life. Enjoying a meal with Jesus Christ. This is it. And we talked about this in Sunday school. What is the gospel? And we're going through John Piper's book. God is the gospel. And he asked this question. Could you be content to go to heaven and enjoy eternal life? No more pain and suffering because all your tears are washed away. Could you enjoy heaven having all your desires fulfilled, all your pleasures fulfilled, being united with your your family members? Could you enjoy heaven if you had all those benefits, but you didn't have fellowship with Jesus Christ? And hopefully the answer is no. Because what makes heaven, heaven is a relationship fellowship with Jesus Christ forever. Where as it were, we can sit around the table with Jesus and the meal never ends. It goes on forever and ever and ever. And this is what Peter has. A relationship with Jesus Christ because he's pouring out 
grace. Jesus is full of grace and full of truth. And you might be wondering, I see the grace. Will there be truth coming? There will be truth coming. And we will see that next week, Lord willing, when Jesus, who is full of grace, will have some tough questions for Peter that will even bring grief to Peter. But these questions are necessary so that Peter can be restored in his own mind and know that everything is okay and to know that not only is the relationship with Jesus Christ restored, but his call as an apostle and to the ministry is restored and he needs to go forth. But think about it again. Is there anything greater? Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them and so with the fish. Beloved, doesn't get any better. Which is why the Lord's Supper is always the climax of our service. Because what are we after more than anything else? Jesus and fellowship with Jesus Christ, which is illustrated in the Lord's Supper. Let's close in prayer. Father, it's so great that we sinners have a gracious God. Father, we thank You. And I pray, like Peter, we will only grow in our appreciation and our amazement of this grace that is offered to us sinners. Father, there really is a reason why amazing grace is the most beloved hymn of all time. And the more we grow as Christians, the more we should find this grace amazing and the more we should love it and embrace it and be transformed by it. Thank You for our God of grace. Thank You that when we sin, we can know that when we own up to that sin, we will be embraced. And Father, now as we prepare to come to the Lord's table, Meet with us. Dine with us. Fellowship with us. For our greatest desire truly is to fellowship with our great God. Amen.